Hello, thank you for downloading this podcast of the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit www.nyuad.nyu.edu institute. Good evening, everyone. My name is Alia Yunus, and I teach in Film and Heritage Studies here at NYU. And I am very happy to welcome you to this NYU uh, Institute talk that is part of the 50U series. Um, today, we're very delighted to have with us Mariam Al Ahli um, from Dubai to talk to us about the perspective on Dubai architecture. Um, I'm going to formally read her bio so I make sure I say everything. An Emirati architect and architectural historian passionate about architecture, art, design, research, and history. Mariam has a Bachelor of Architecture from the American University in Sharjah and a Master's in Archaeological History from Architectural History, sorry, from the Bartlett School of Architecture at UCLA in London. UCL in London, sorry. Um, academically, she has conducted extensive research and has published on the topic of modernism and modern heritage in Dubai. Mariam aims to cohesively bring together the professional and academic knowledge to curate, conceptualize, and execute projects that create a balance between the modern and the traditional, both in theory and in practice. Um, after Mariam's talk, we'll have um, time for questions from the audience. And with that, welcome to the podium, Mariam. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Uh, today I will be talking about the arrival of late modernism in Dubai through a selection of case studies and ongoing research of mine. Uh, but first I'd like to thank NYU Abu Dhabi and also the 50U book series for this opportunity. This is a brief on what we'll be discussing today. It will have a general overview of modernism as a movement and then how Dubai came to become modern. And then we'll talk about Dubai's modern architectural planning and look at different case studies. The aim of this research is to study modern, modern buildings that emerged in Dubai in the 60s and 70s. This allows for a better understanding of how modernist architectural manifestations evolved in that shifting period and the ways in which they helped shape the urban fabric of, this, of the Emirate. The study is done in light of Sheikh Rashid's vision to raise the standards of living in Dubai to become an international city. Also important in this analysis are the master plans of Dubai developed by John Harris that, turn a mark, that mark a turning point for the city's growth. This research documents these examples of modernism in hopes that they become enlisted and preserved as part of our modern heritage, not only in Dubai, but the wider Emirates. To understand modernism in the context of today's talk, we need to know how it emerged and what were the pr pr principles of the, international of the international modernism movement when it came to architecture. Modernism as a global architectural and design movement emerged in the first decades of the 20th century as a response to accelerated industrialization and social changes. The rise of modernism in architecture happened between the 1920s and 1950s, but its origins go back actually to the Enlightenment period and expansions to high-tech following the Industrial Revolution. 
Thus, its history can be divided into three periods, early, modern, and late. Late in which most of the famous architectural mottos were coined, less is more, for example. Modernism emphasized function, simplicity, and rationality, and created new forms of expression with a new aesthetic in design. This new aesthetic resulted in modern buildings that were considered appropriate for all nations and cultures. In this pursuit of modernists for order and universals in architecture, modernism utilized new materials and advanced technology and rejected old traditional historical ideas and styles, in specific, rejecting or ornamentation completely and instead embracing minimalism. Modernism as a stylistic movement also encompasses principles from other movements, such as Futurism, constructivism, D-style, and the Bauhaus. These here are the principles for the practice of international modernism. Amongst the leaders of this movement are the architects celebrated until today, such as Le Corbusier, Walter Gropius, Philip Johnson, Mies van der Rohe, and of course, Louis Sullivan, who coined one of the most famous moments of the famous mottos of the modernist movement, form follows function a practice that is still existent today in academia as well as in real life. Adolf Loos had an impact on modernism too. His essay published in 1908 created the slogan, ornament is a crime. With crime, Loos meant the waste of money, labor, and materials, thus the economics of building. For him, as modern man appreciated simplicity, ornament had no meaning no place, no value within modern society. This established a lack or absence of ornamentation in modern buildings of that time, as well as in certain examples of contemporary and postmodern architecture. I want to start this chapter with a quote that actually jump-started my research into modern heritage. Architecture is a subject which demands to be understood in context, that is within the context of its production, society, economics, politics, and culture, and the context of its consumption, representation, and interpretation. Dubai is considered historically very young in comparison with Euro-American cities, despite its long-standing importance for centuries as a trading port for commercial routes and also political administration between Britain and the sub-Indian continent. The city's significant efforts in being recognized as an economical center and a touristic destination was in the making way before it became recognized today as a global city only built purely post-oil. Before the 1960s, life and settlement in Dubai mainly existed around the creek, which divides the city life and activity geographically, economically, socially, culturally, and even visually into two complementary parts. The late 1950s witnessed movements from the residential mud brick, coral stone, and barastri palm front houses to modernist housing districts distant from the creek, which resulted in associated changes in demographics, land use, and buildings, along with zoning regulations across the city. These events taking place from the, light, from the late 1950s onwards are now considered as foresight to the future growth of Dubai. That becomes evident in the early establishment of foreign and national banks that, co that coincided with the expanding plan of the city and as well took advantage of the potential of profit making from loans and, invest and investments at the time. 
These developments paved the way for Dubai to flourish across its urban fabric, allowing for modernist aesthetics to finally enter the architectural scene, radically transforming building typologies, materials, techniques, and styles over the next three decades. Modernism stylistic aesthetics and design principles were introduced in Dubai in the late 1950s and early 1960s, where it was adapted to local practices and social values. These new buildings in the context of old Dubai at the time succeeded in integrating their modernist approach to design with vernacular building traditions. For instance, most of these buildings contained courtyards usually made out of sand. They had abstracted ornaments in the form of latticework for screens, windows, and shades, elements of passive cooling, recessed windows, and a respectful play on the dichotomy of public, private, and gender-specific spaces. Such architectural manifestations took into consideration a detail-oriented methodology in their built environment, structural specifications, material selections, and evolving typologies. Most importantly, they were sensitive to the context of the urban fabric in which they were situated in, as well as the needs of their end users. What they tried to do is they attempted to reconcile local specificities of customs and materials with the colonial innovations of the time. Manifestations that had the ambition of belonging to an international movement yet was responding to context. As was the case with the where their traditional and historical predecessors, predecessors, the wind tower houses, these modernist buildings were also conscious in their overall design propositions. To understand architecture in Dubai in relation to the international modern movement, reflections on the context are then essential. Why was modernism introduced in Dubai and how was it applied to its architecture? In search of the why, we can look at two influential forces, a foreign presence and a local effort attempting to reconcile with the impacts and influences of the, of the outsider. The former was a colonial imposition of sorts in Dubai with heavy presence of British forces, which in turn played a role in the introduction of modernity and its principles to the city. Their ambitions were translated through an imposed project of modernization at both the urban and architectural style. On the local front, however, that was the foresight of the late ruler of Dubai, Sheikh Rashid bin Saeed Al Maktoum, who understood the significance of built forms and their capability to be seen as social acts to be seen as agents, agents of change and future foresight. The how will be demonstrated later in the case studies that I will take you through. Sheikh Rashid Al Maktoum, the late ruler and father of modernity in Dubai, was commonly known in Arabic as Bani Dubai Al Haditha, the builder of the modern Dubai. Surrounded himself with British, European, and local advisors who supported his futuristic outlook and ambitious project, projects. In the mid-1900s, with British assistance and Sheikh Rashid's vision, Dubai was established as a trading center regionally and globally. The late arrival of modernism in Dubai was influenced by this desire for modernity, thus adapting the principles of this international style. This prompted Sheikh Rashid to invest in advisors and architects who could carry out this modern agenda. While having in mind the best interest of the emirate in terms of its growth, its development, and its, in its heart, its, its citizens. The almost drastic stylistic evolution of Dubai from this arish, coral stone, and palm front houses to these clean-cut, whitewashed modernist buildings 
allows us to better understand this polar shift from tradition to, moder to modernity, not only as a mode of living, sorry, not only as a mode of building, but also as a way of living. Sheikh Rashid was responsible for the transformation of Dubai from a small cluster of settlements near the Dubai Creek to a modern port city and commercial hub. In this picture here, you can see Sheikh Rashid with Sheikh Mohammed Barashid in the Empire State Building in New York. And this was when he saw the World Trade Center in New York being constructed, and he came back to Dubai and he said, let's do one for Dubai. And that's how the one in Dubai happened. Under his direction, all of the following projects took place. The Dubai airport opened in 1959. The city was electrified in 1961. The municipal council was officially formed. Hence, town planning regulations were employed. A fresh water distribution plant was commissioned. Al Maktoum Bridge opened to traffic in 1963. The iconic clock tower was erected in 1967. Foreign international brands and products were imported and sold. Infrastructure, libraries, service stations, recreational facilities, schools, hospitals, roads, and a modern telecommunication network were built. The creek was also dredged to, to allow for larger vessels to enter, which enhanced Dubai's role as a trade harbor. Container ports were constructed, and oil was found in 1966, and eventually Emirates Airlines was launched in 1985. These projects showed clearly that Dubai's infrastructure planning wasn't just a response to immediate needs of the community. It was clearly linked to the ambitious ideas about the future development of the city for generations to come. John Harris, a British architect and planner, completed the first town plan of Dubai in 1960 based only on aerial surveys and existing settlements. His proposed network of roads, zoning, and infrastructure were extended out to the vast empty deserts of the city, hence guiding the early development of Dubai prior to the 1966 discovery of oil. An updated version of the plan was later published in 1971, taking into consideration certain changes in zoning requirements. These master plans mark a turning point in the architecture, language, and urban design of the city where traditional practices become altered and at times completely abandoned, and the influence of late modernism starts manifesting itself in the newly constructed buildings, landmarks, parks, and neighborhoods, most of which were designed by Japanese, British, European, and some Arab architects, some of whom include Sir William Halcrow, John Harris, Peter Jackson, Otto Bollard, Zeki Hamsi, Jafar Tuqan, and Edgar Bublik. This plan guided Dubai's modest early development until the discovery of oil in 1966. It demonstrates why Sheikh Rashid chose to hire a young and largely unknown architect instead of an actual established town, plan town planner. John's, place accepted, John's plan accepted the logic and economies of the existing settlement around the creek and proposed a road system that weaved the old town into Dubai's future growth. He did not try to impose preconceived ideas of urban forms on the city or erase the old city. He, he, what he did was he actually walked down every track in the old town to start extending these lines out to the city. When oil was found in August of 1966, he actually witnessed the presentation of a jam jar full of oil to Sheikh Rashid. Sheikh Rashid, when he saw this oil, told John, John Harris, 
Let's progress with our plans for Dubai. Let's build Rashid Hospital and other modern schools and banks and commercial buildings. Now we go to the how of this, this international modern style was applied to Dubai's architecture through an exploration of some architectural manifestations and then through some urban monuments and landmarks. Old and new Dubai represent the city's dual cosmopolitan context, each with its own set of connotations. The prefix new usually means successor to or inferior of a no longer existent entity. However, in the case of Dubai, it implies that new and old coexist synchronically. It's an idiom of sibling competition rather than that of inheritance. This old new Dubai spatial matrix is essential to understand how the architecture of these case studies, being mostly non-iconic buildings, responds to socio-cultural, political, and economic factors that allowed for the principles of modernism to be expressed through them. Starting with the discovery of oil and the economic wealth generated by its sale, the implementation of the first master plan of the city, the economic boom during the 1970s following the, drama the dramatic increase in oil prices, architecture reflected all these layers of rapid change in the city. In regards to how modernism was applied to the context of Dubai, we look at it, but also as we look at its perception as an outsider product at that time. I selected a series of public use buildings that vary in type, kind, and typologies. My research today, I'll show you a sample of what I've been looking at, but I looked at educational facilities, governmental healthcare services, public service buildings, uh, recreational facilities, sometimes religious buildings, or commercial ones. When, we, when I came to select the case studies, I had to identify certain criteria for my selection. So I had to look at, there is a vast offering of modernist buildings in Dubai. So how do we choose which ones to preserve, which ones to document? How do we make that selection? And that was a struggle, and it's a struggle I continue with today, because if it's up to me, I want to preserve it all. I decided to focus on buildings that were the works of famous influential architects, buildings that had a social, cultural, or political impact, such as schools, hospitals, on the urban fabric of the city, buildings that were the first of their kind, the first hospital, the first hotel, the first bank, buildings that are significant in shaping the urban fabric of the city. There are buildings that aesthetically are not significant, but the way they were built in certain parts of Dubai allowed for urban development around them, and that's why they became important. Buildings that had important aesthetic features that adhere to modernist principles. Buildings that also became initial prototypes for mass production. Mass production. You can see this a lot in clinics. They usually were mass produced after an initial prototype. You can see it in public or governmental schools for boys and girls. They were prototypes that were also mass produced and buildings that are still functional today as they were originally intended for, and buildings that are considered iconic, some of which are still featured on our banknotes. This building I stumbled across in Deira when I was just doing some documentation. It's a beautiful building amongst a seascape of very, very ugly uh, towers in, in the district. 
Um, it has the plaque underneath that says 1961 as, a, as an attribute to the year it was built, but it's a beautiful example of a modern building in Dubai where there is actually a lack of ornamentation compared to other buildings, but it still adheres to the international principles of having whitewashed buildings, horizontal volumes with a vertical complementary one. This is a bit better picture of uh, the building in context. The Dubai Zoo of 1967, uh, this was designed by Otto Bullard. Otto Bullard was an Austrian architect who uh, used to practice in the city. He had a habit of collecting wildlife animals. So Sheikh Rashid and a lot of people started complaining that he has lions at home and he has elephants and this is not normal. So Sheikh Rashid decided to give him a piece of land at the end of the city, tell him, you know what, just go put your animals there, build a zoo, make it a public attraction, let everyone come to it. The funny thing today is that land is Jumeirah 1. It's the beginning of Dubai. It no longer is at the end of town. This building had sadly closed down in 2017. All the animals have been shifted to the safari, but the building itself is a beautiful one that I think could be repurposed for other uses in the future. This is a part of the residential quarters of the zoo. Uh, the Union House of 1970, this is uh, now actually part of the Etihad Museum experience. Uh, what a lot of people don't know about this building is it was uh, built for Sheikh Rashid as an administrative building for him to receive guests and have meetings, but it also happened to witness the formation of the UAE. This is where the UAE declaration was signed. This is where the union happened on December 2nd, 1972. And this circular building became the perfect example or perfect tribute to the union of the Emirates. This, um, uh, this part, this expansion of the airport happened in 1971. Uh, it, was it was a design that was considered ahead of its time. Um, it, had, um, it avoided any traditional decorative motifs. Instead, it employed a visually open and vaulted uh, structure to create an arabesque quality. These umbrella units of glass reinforced plastic also formed the roof. And access was elevated by a roadway via a flyover to the, from the main road, something that was a UAE's first at the time in 1971. The Zabil School for Girls is a um, public uh, school that, uh, that was a high school for girls. It was built in the mid-70s by Khatib and Alami. It closed down in 2012. Uh, um, I have to go on a personal tangent here. In 2012, I actually wrote an article um, to preserve this building from being demolished because it was set to be demolished. That's why it was evacuated in 2010. And then in 2014 and 15, it became a subject of my master's study and became one of my case studies. And for 10 years, nothing happened to the building. It was not demolished. We had so many efforts to preserve it. And in, sorry, in 2020, I joined Dubai Culture as a projects manager. And one month after I joined, it actually was shifted over to Dubai Culture as an asset. And today, I'm actually working on the rehabilitation of the building. So to me, I feel this is a personal victory. The building is very significant in its design because it's designed in a U-shape that kind of allows women a freedom to do all the things they want to do within the structure. If they want to remove their covers, play sports, do theater, do everything. It was very sensitive to the needs of the community at the time. 
It also geographically has a wonderful location between the old and new Dubai. The World Trade Center of 1979 that we earlier talked about is designed by John Harris and was inaugurated by Queen Elizabeth in 1979. Um, it became uh, one of Sheikh Rashid's last tributes to his state. And at the time it was built at 40 stories high, it was actually for 20 years the tallest skyscraper in, in the Arabian Peninsula. This is a nice picture I always like to show because it shows you the skyscrapers of modern Dubai rather than the Dubai of now. In 1980, Sheikh Rashid also in the picture above, he's actually on the construction site for the Hayat Regency Hotel that was designed by Gary Whitney of 3D International uh, for his client Abdul Wahab Galadari. It is the first Hayat Hotel in the UAE. It had 421 rooms and 388 apartments, but the coolest feature it had was one of the first ice skating rings in the Emirate. El Mullah Plaza of 1980 was designed by Pacific Consultants, a Japanese consulting firm that was based in the UAE and designed a lot of the projects at the time. It's still in use today as a mall, and it's considered actually one of the first malls in Dubai. Uh, it also includes a residential block that has two and three bedroom split level flats and an upper shaded tennis court totaling an area of 153,000 square, 53, square feet. Um, uh, what's interesting about this is if anyone's been to the Dubai Municipality Building uh, in Dubai, they have the similar shading structure that's, uh, that shades the tennis court. It's a similar structure because it was designed also by Pacific Consultants. This project sadly was demolished in uh, 2017. It's an ML hospital uh, designed by John Harris in 1983. Uh, this hospital was one of many that John Harris designed. John Harris designed the Dubai Hospital, the Rashid Hospital, but what was very important about this was this was the first hospital that was dedicated to mental health in the, in the Emirate. And it was called Al Amal, which is Arabic for hope. Uh, this building, the hospital still exists, Al Amal Hospital still exists in Dubai, but the building sadly demolished. It is, uh, I think now will be part of the city walk development. But what was very smart, what was very sensitive in its approach is the building was designed, designed around these sand-filled courtyards and it had all its windows facing the courtyards. So it created a sense of home. It was designed based on how the traditional home was built. In a traditional home, the windows don't look at the outside because of privacy. So what happens is you have a very open courtyard in the middle the windows are looking inside and the, courtyards become, the courtyard becomes your interiorized public space. So this is the same kind of feeling that he brought to his patients for them to feel at home. And it stayed one story high. It never went higher than that. So there was a lot of sensitivity in that design considering who it was supposed to cater for. This is a picture from an event we did to say goodbye to the school. We actually brought a lot of patients back to the school to say goodbye, and they, we gave them balloons that they wrote messages in and they let go of. And there is a very nice message. I'll show you at the end of the presentation. These are just a little bit of images of different architectural uh, modern exa examples of modern architecture in Dubai. 
a few of which today, until today exist, a few that sadly no longer they are there, like Al Nasser Cinema or the housing compound next to the British Petroleum Building. These actually are demolished. There are some sketches that were designed but never actually conceived. And there are things that exist today, like the Sheraton, uh, the Sheraton Hotel at the bottom. I also uh, decided to put together an example of uh, some of the urban landmarks that shaped the city at the time. Uh, these urban landmarks were very important as well because they became these visual identifiers for a lot of generations um, that did or maybe pre-Google Maps, that generation. So that's how people used to use them to also explain how you can go to or reach a destination. So they became very important. Um, I had to also go through the same criteria of selection, but with urban landmarks, I had to go beyond the landmark and look at urban neighborhoods as a whole. How do we preserve that? How do we preserve the, the sense, the feel, the ambiance of such a neighborhood? We also had to look at what kind of social, cultural, political, and educational value these landmarks and neighborhoods brought. Uh, were they the first of their kind? Is it the first park? Is it the first roundabout that had a certain sculpture commissioned on it? Um, is it still functional as it was originally intended for? Are they significant in terms of their geography? Are they site sensitive? Are they site specific? Um, are they also uh, prototypes for mass production? Because in the 70s and 80s, with the increase in labor and the increase in jobs, uh, we started to see, to see a lot around Deira and Jumeirah, a lot of housing compounds started to come. So the housing compound itself, maybe aesthetically and architecturally, is not that important. But as an urban intervention on site, it is important to look at that and what kind of development happened around that, not just architecturally, but also socially, culturally, politically, and economically. Uh, I also looked at public squares in Dubai, a lot of which no longer exist. They've been replaced by highways, but their existence at a time also had a social communal value that today we're missing. This is the clock tower of uh, Dubai. It dates back to uh, for its construction to 1964 to 1965, and it was completed in 1967. So Otto Bollard, the same architect who designed the zoo, actually designed the, the structure for this roundabout, the structure to hold the watch. The watch was actually a gift from Sheikh Rashid's son-in-law when he married his daughter. He gave it to him as a gift, so they used the watch to create this monument. And the structural engineering uh, part of the watchtower was designed by Zeki Hamsli, who uh, finished all the calculations and did uh, something very new at the time with reinforced concrete, considering the arches and how they were designed and put together. This is one of the best examples of urban monuments in Dubai because it still exists until today. It's still functional and it's still very much a landmark within the city. Al Safa Park, 1975. I really struggled to find one an image of Al Safa Park before it changed because a lot of it was removed sadly when they did the Dubai Canal project. So it's become one third of what it used to be. But this is one of the original images of the park. 
It was a 64-hectare urban park located in Dubai. Um, it was um, a destination for residents for years and years. It went under redevelopment uh, in 1984 onwards. And the park contained three lakes, over 200 species of birds, and 16,924 different trees and bushes. Today, it's still in use, but a huge part has sadly been demolished, but it still is a very important urban landmark, and you still see a lot of the local community walking around it. There's still a track around it. It's still important to the fabric of the city. This is Al Khazan Water Tower and Park from 1983. It's an urban monument, and it serves um, as a landmark to an urban monument that was the water towers of the 1960s to the 1980s that actually held fresh water. Um, it's still in use today, and it is um, 40 meters high, which makes it a very nice, it, it gives it a very nice height in contrast as it's located opposite to City Walk. And in front of the blue and white water tower is a large grass-covered wall with the phrase, the road to happiness etched on it. And I think the road to happiness is somewhere in the 70s and 80s for me. This is an example of a few um, urban districts that I actually looked at uh, when I did my study. Uh, again, my research is ongoing. I'm still like there every day. There are examples of um, these buildings, these urban districts that are brought to my attention. And usually they're brought to my attention because sadly they're, they're about to be demolished. So um, there's been a lot of effort to document as much as I can, but I think there's also been collective effort UAE-wide to preserve modern heritage. And I think the, the awareness that this has brought to the people is very important. This is the picture that I always like to end with. It's a quote from a patient from Al Amal Hospital who said in Arabic, Dom fi Amal fi Mustashfa Al Amal. There is always hope in Al Amal Hospital. And I felt that this really rung true to my research. There is always hope. There is always hope to preserve, to document, to raise awareness, and to make this public knowledge, um, to make this a public responsibility as well. <coughs> Dubai's architectural growth did not pause in the 1940s wind tower houses and palm front huts. It continues to survive in the memories of these modernist structures. The international standards of modernism do not completely apply to the context of modernist structures in Dubai because the fundamental practice of international style dictates that it is void of contextual responses in its design approach and it should lack ornamentation. However, as the case studies you saw, this does not apply to Dubai. The Dubai modernist structures responded to the local context and they incorporated stylistic, although simplified forms of elements to adorn the buildings, making these interventions more site-aware, sensitive, and specific. This is why I've come to the conclusion that although modernism as a stylistic movement arrived to Dubai, uh, late, it adapted itself to become more of a regional response rather than an international one. It was expressing local culture and values through modern design, a style that responded to Dubai's need to become a modern city, and it also respected this transitional period from traditional to modern in built form. It became almost a hybrid of several styles. 
Studying the arrival of late modernism and post-oil Dubai through examples of public and private use buildings reveal, reveal early tendencies for eclectic design. We see sometimes a little bit of everything in them. And that, I think, is an outcome probably due to the initial struggle of modernist architecture and finding a language completely harmonious with the local context and its stylistic inclinations. They had a lot of sand and they had to adapt to that. They had to adapt their designs to them. So yes, these are modern heritage, but these are regional modern heritage. These are modern heritage that respond to the context. These are modern heritage that are site specific. There is an utmost need for preserving, classifying and documenting modern heritage in Dubai. Today, many of these buildings, landmarks, parks, neighborhoods and districts are at risk and are somewhat of a bad condition and or, be, or are being demolished or have already been demolished. It is important to raise awareness and realize the urgent need to conserve these structures for they are essential in understanding the architectural evolution and urban growth of Dubai as a multicultural metropolis. These buildings also have a contribution to us that goes beyond the built environment. There is a generational gap that these buildings bridge. Uh, a lot of our parents, a lot of our grandparents witnessed the buildings or lived in the buildings of the 1940s and the Wind Tower buildings, but we didn't. And then a lot of today's generation knows all this shiny glass and steel architecture and doesn't know these buildings. But then these buildings kind of bridge that gap generationally because it build, it's buildings that the older generation contributed to, whether it was through investment or towards design, or they commissioned them, or they worked as contractors on them. It was our generation who went to school in these buildings, who went ice skating, who watched a movie in these buildings. And then there's the current generation who passes by them and still uses them as urban identifiers in their journey across the city. These buildings are very important because they help narrate the story of Dubai, but not just visually. It's a story that is based on memories. It's place-based memories that tell the story of Dubai. A lot of these buildings are gone. A lot of this comes back also to almost the nomadic nature of this region, of building, shifting, moving around. This movement is still very much part of our, of our culture. So through these place-based memories, we can tell the story of Dubai through generations and for generations to come. Thank you. You've been listening to a download from the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. You'll find more information on our website, www.nyuad.nyu.edu institute.